0: your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. At this point, you should be developing a good crease in your Bible. Hopefully by the end, Luke will just naturally open right up to you as we will be spending several amount of our time here in this wonderful gospel account. For the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the narrative of Christ's birth, this very well-known narrative. And because it's so well-known, uh, we wanted to really dive into the details. And so we looked first at the, the context of Christ's birth there in verses 1-3, through three, and we saw how those, those, those details that Luke that Luke gives us, those contexts of how the, the decree of Caesar Augustus, the registration by Quirinius, the governor of Syria, all of this was a demonstration of how God is sovereign over all of history. Secondly, we looked at the location of Christ's birth. We saw the big significance of that little town of Bethlehem. That through Bethlehem, we would see that this babe of Bethlehem would be not only the promised eternal ruler, the Messiah to come, but that He would be the bread of life and the sacrificial Lamb of God. And then last week, we saw the manor of Christ's birth. This lowly manner of how the High King of Heaven would be born and placed in a feeding trough, a manger. But there was no room for Him. And how this lowly manner of Christ's birth demonstrated the realities of His entire life that He would be a man of sorrows. That He was... was one of incredible and infinite humility, leaving the glories of heaven to take the lowest of states. states, That He has redeeming power. He who can turn a manger and a cross and make them objects of glory. And now He invites all to come to Him. For a king's throne may cause you to, to, to be hesitant in your approach. But an open stable invites all. To come and behold Today we turn to the first responses to Christ's birth. And what a spectrum it will give us from the angels of glory to shepherds in the field. We look now to verses 8 through 20 and this wonderful scene. Pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. One of the beautiful things about living in Alaska is it doesn't take very long for us to get to a place where the night sky can be seen in all of its immaculate glory. And there are few places in the world. That you can watch the auroras dance through the night sky the way that you can't Or the way that as you get away from the light pollution of the cities, that you can see stars which once seemed so invisible pop in ways like never before. I remember as a young soldier on a night patrol in Afghanistan, looking up, we would probably been there for two weeks, and just realizing i would never seen stars like that. I've never seen the billions of stars reflected in the night sky. And think about this scene here. These shepherds, likely doing what they had all the time, probably gathered there around Migdal Eder, the tower of the flocks on the outskirts of Bethlehem, perhaps sitting around a fire, knowing men, probably making crude jokes with one another, laughing, joking, listening to the sounds of bawling sheep around them it was a night like every other night they'd spent in the cool air of the the night looking up in the midst of the glories of the stars made by the hands of their creator and yet in the midst of this scene all of a sudden an angel appears to these men that puts all of the light and the glory of those stars to absolute and utter shame. The fullness of God's holiness where this angel has just left from the presence of God is is just permeating with glory around them, filling out the entire area as if the sun has risen where light now shines in them in ways like never before. And these shepherds do the right thing. They're scared to death. How can you not be? How could you not be scared to death? You see, as a sinner, there is nothing more scary, more fear, more frightening than a visitor dressed in holiness. Because as a sinner, the only response is I'm done for you recognize just how far you are from that, and you realize if one is coming from God towards me, then it only means my demise. I'm sure these men had heard of these angelic beings. Perhaps they very they well they well knew the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the power of these angelic beings wielded, the might of the chariots of flame surrounding. Elijah in protection. And as they saw this being dressed in holiness, these sinners shuddered in fear. Because that's what you do when you see one dressed in holiness as a sinner. Good example of this. Is think you are a spouse or a mother. Your child is away fighting in battle. And you get a knock on the door. And you see men dressed in uniform. (laughs) Your first response is is, wow, we have visitors. Your response would be great fear. Because you would think the message that they are going to bring will not be good news. Fear sets over you. You don't want to open the door. But you find it in your heart, the ability to do so. And you go and you open the door. But rather than hearing that your child has passed, you hear glorious news. Your child is a hero. and He has saved multiple people. He will be receiving the Medal of Honor. And we're sending him home early to you. What was a message and what was a moment of incredible, terrible fear became a message and a moment of great joy. That's what this scene is all about. These angels thought this message would be one of great fear and terror. A a message of judgment. And instead they received a message of joy. You have to ask, why shepherds? Of all the people, the birth of Jesus, the high king of heaven, the eternal son of God, could have been announced to Why shepherds in the middle of a field? Why would angels not grace the courts of Herod, the palaces of Caesar, but instead enter the fields of shepherds? Well, we've already talked a little bit about this back in our message on Bethlehem. Remember, Bethlehem is where the sacrificial flocks of the temple are being raised. And it was the job of these shepherds to examine these sheep, these lambs that were born, to ensure that they were spotless. That they were able to protect them, to wrap them up, and and, and make sure that they stayed unblemished for temple sacrifices. They were the ones who were the first to examine a sacrifice fitting for the temple. Fitting for God. So we shouldn't be shocked that it would be the task of shepherds to be the first one to behold the spotless Lamb of God Himself. To see the fitting sacrifice. Also, this was a fulfillment of a little known prophecy Back in Jeremiah 33. In Jeremiah 33, we read of this in verses 13-16. through It says, In the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord is our righteousness. This will come under the hands of those who can fly. So here, we see all of this happening, right? We see this prophetic fulfillment. We see the nature of the Son Himself as the sacrificial lamb. All of this gives us reason for why these shepherds would have been the first to receive the good news of great joy. But I believe that doesn't exhaust the reasons. I think there was another reason why God chose to first announce His message. This, This glorious news of Christ's birth To shepherds. You see. Contrary to our modern nativity scenes. Shepherds were not considered. The most upstanding of citizens. They were seen as outcasts. They were dirty and smelly and filthy. They were considered thieves often. Because these guys would just literally roam people's land. Take whatever was on it. They were known as liars. Oftentimes these individuals would cover up and and manipulate animals in a way that were blemish to make them look like they weren't, in order to get more money for them. It was so bad that the testimony of shepherds were not even admissible in court. I find that fascinating. The very first announcement to shepherds and the very first witness of the resurrection, women, were by those whose testimony in ancient times were not admissible in court. Now why is that significant? It's because if you're making this story up, that's not what you do. You don't put the testimony in the hands of people whose testimony isn't acceptable in court if you're making up a story to try to get people to believe it. God's doing this by revealing His message of Christ's birth to shepherds and by revealing Christ's resurrection to women. Is a way that says, I refuse to reveal myself in a way and in a manner that man finds acceptable. Mm -hmm. I do not play by your rules, God says. I do things according to my will and my purpose. And I will make it so clear that this is absolute and utter truth. I don't care what the laws of men find acceptable you're making up a story this isn't the way to do it this isn't just a story this is history this is truth in every way christ first announced the first announcement of his birth Birth would be given to those who are outcast, undesirable, uneducated, low class, detestable, seen as wicked and sinners of, by the world. So we should heed the words of James chapter 2, verse 5, which says, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? God chose to first visit low class nobodies who were marginalized and forgotten by society to show who He had come for. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know today. Christmas is the reality that God did not come for the whole and the good. He came for the sick and the sinful. Mm-hmm. If you think you're good, the Christmas message has no meaning to. If you think you've got it all together, there's nothing to celebrate this Christmas except your own vain success. But if you feel unclean, if you know how sinful you are, if you know how broken and messed up you are, then the message of Christmas is for you. Mm -hmm. The message of Christ is for you. Mm. And it is good news of great joy who are sick and sinful. My friends, what makes this good news? And that word good news is where we get the word gospel from. Evangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. So when you see the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John, you're seeing the good news according to them. I want you to know what makes this moment so significant that we're looking at today. It is the first time in all of redemptive history where the gospel was proclaimed not as a future promise, but a present reality. From Genesis 3 onward. The gospel was something that was going to come. It will come. It will happen. And for the first time in all of history, the gospel is now proclaimed as it has happened. He has come. The main point of our message today is this. The angelic announcement of Christ's birth demonstrates that Jesus came to bring salvation and peace to to all sinners who receive Him as their King and Savior, and that such good news of great joy demands our immediate and joyful response. So with that introduction, let's look now to some details of the text. And the first thing we see is the angelic announcement of Jesus' verse. We see this particularly in verses 10-12. through It reads, And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. This is good news of great joy. Not a message of fear. Not something that you should shake or be concerned about, but a message to receive and delight in shepherds. It is a message of good news, of great joy. And this message is centered upon one reality. What makes this message so good? What makes it a message of great joy? And the answer is this, is because this message answers what child is this. It tells us what child this is. And when you know who this child is, you can't not help but to celebrate. Not a single word is wasted in this angelic announcement. We read first, Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. Unto you, Is born. Now this immediately. Would have taken those shepherds. If they knew anything of the word of God. But it should take us specifically. To the words of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us. A child is born. A son is given. He shall be called wonderful counselor. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. Mighty God. Are these names of him. For unto you is born. This promise given to Isaiah. Has taken place. In the city of David, a Savior has been born. I love that message, unto you. Unto you, shepherds, a child is born. Unto you, Hillside Baptist Church, a child is born. Unto you. This isn't a, a, a generic statement. Unto It's unto you. Many of you will begin getting gifts. Husbands, get on it. we got to get there. We don't want to wait until the Christmas Eve. I'm, the, I'm the guilty of this. But when you put together your presents, what do you put? To and from. My friends, right from the outset, we see something significant about this child unto you. The reality of is that he is a gift from God. To you, God has given a gift, and that gift is a Savior. A Savior God has given you. A Savior. Friends, our greatest need was not a therapist for our anxiety. Our greatest need was not a motivational speaker for our self-esteem. Our greatest need was not a politician for our worldly frustrations. No, brothers and sisters, our greatest need Was for a Savior of our sin. Your greatest need in life is a Savior. Is a Savior. And my friends, in Christ Jesus, the only Savior has come. There is no hesitation in the words of the angels, it doesn't say he will try to be a Savior. A possible Savior, a partial Savior, a hopeful Savior. No, unto you is born this day a Savior. He will be perfect in His salvation. He is no partial Savior, beginning a work and not concluding it. No, He perfects and presents the saved ones that He has brought by the purchase of His blood without spot or wrinkle he presents them before his father's throne as innocent covered completely by his righteousness my friends how you celebrate this don't grow numb to the fact that you have a savior you are a sinner apart from Christ you are in enmity with God you are dead and headed for judgment apart from him but a savior has come you should fill the streets with celebration that a Savior is coming. Every day of your life should be filled with a song of praise. Thank God I have a Savior. You have a Savior. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son a Savior to be born of a woman who saves us from sin, death, Satan, and ourselves. And He saves us To the uttermost. He saves us completely. For he who began a work in you will bring it unto completion. All who come to me, I will in no ways cast out. All that the Father has given me, I will not lose one of them, but raise them up on the last day. He is a perfect Savior, not a partial one, not a probable one, a perfect one. We are told that he is Christ. The Lord. Christ there. You hear that name a lot. Jesus Christ. The Christ. What is Christ? Right. Christ is simply uh, the Greek word Christos. Which means anointed one. It's not Christ's last name. It's the anointed one. He is the anointed one of God. Fully and completely set apart. For the work of salvation. And redeeming the cosmos. Back to God. That's His Purpose as the anointed one. Now in the Old Testament. Only three groups. Were individuals who could ever be referred to as anointed. Kings. Prophets. And priests. Those three groups were the only ones in the Old Testament. Ever referred to as being anointed. Brothers and sisters. What makes that significant. Is Jesus the Christ. Is all three of those things. Jesus is our final king. The fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. This is why over and over again, we have seen this statement of the city of David. From the city of David. Luke wants to make clear that he is the eternal promised Davidic king. Coming to build a kingdom which will last forever. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords he will forever sit upon the throne of glory, holding the scepter of Judah, which will never depart from him. He will rule and elect multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation in the new heavens and earth, and he will do so for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, only in this kingdom, ruled by this king, will you find complete peace, complete joy, complete satisfaction, complete provision for all that you will ever need. Only in this kingdom will you never find men divided. Only in this kingdom will you find eternal hope. Only in this kingdom will you find everything that your soul is longing for. It is found in the kingdom under the rule of King Jesus. Secondly, Christ is our final prophet. Now what do prophets do? Prophets reveal... The message and the word of God to man. They reveal God to man. That's what the prophets did. They revealed God to man. And Jesus is the greatest revelation of God. Why? Because He is God. He is God incarnate. God literally translated Himself to us by taking on flesh so that we might behold the fullness of the glory of God. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and 2. In in the fullness of time, long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Jesus would say in the Scriptures that if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. When you look to Christ, you see God. You see the eternal Godhead in all of its fullness in the person of Christ. Christ manifested the fullness of the Godhead to us. He manifests the fullness of God's love, the Father, and he manifests the fullness of the help of the Spirit. The fullness of the Godhead is revealed in the person of the Son, which is what makes him the greatest prophet. He's not a prophet. He's THE prophet. Lastly, He is our final priest. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. The go-between. The one who performs the satisfactory work to establish relationship between God and man, which was once broken. He is the fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant. And he did so by being not only the perfect high priest, but also the spotless sacrificial lamb. He was both the priest and the sacrifice in order that we can be reconciled, made right with God. And through his priestly work, we can approach the throne of God boldly as he forever makes intercession on our behalf. What an amazing reality we have in Christ. Christ who day after day prays over His people. And this is the guarantee that you won't be lost if you're in Him. Because you may struggle wondering if God hears your prayers. But you better believe He hears the prayers of His Son. And the Lord says, day by day, He makes intercession for you. That is your security. The prayer's God the Son Himself. What a high priest we have in Christ. My friends, yet, even in the midst of all of this, that He is our final prophet, He is our final king, He is our final priest, what makes this babe of Bethlehem even more wonderful, what makes this news even more great, is that this babe of Bethlehem is God Himself. Flesh, uh, dwelling in flesh, the incarnate God of glory. Taking on that which He created. Entering into history which He created. And the reason why this is so important is because anything less than God would have been unable to bear our sin. Anything less than God could not have bore your sin. If anything less than God would have been set up as a ground for our salvation, it would have found itself too fragile to bear the weight. It would have collapsed over and over again. But because the one who undertakes to save us is none other than the infinite and the almighty, the load of our guilt can be carried upon his shoulders with no problem. Only God can forgive sins. That's why when Christ kept saying your sins are forgiven, what did they want to do? They wanted to stone Him. Any idea, anybody who says Christ never claimed to be God clearly has just not read the Gospels. Over and over again, they pick up stones to kill Him. Why? Because they think He's committing blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And what does Jesus say? So that you might know the Son of Man has, forget, has the power to forgive. Get up and walk. When he tells that lame man to walk, it isn't just for the sake of healing them. It's a clear picture that he has power over sin. Because he's God. He is God. The incredible labor of our salvation can only be achieved by a divine worker. And he has come in Christ Jesus. My friends, this is the substance of the gospel. That in the person of Jesus born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Who laid in a manger. Existed the perfect Savior, the Christ. The eternal Lord of heaven. Who came to save sinners like you and me. This is the greatest news of the greatest joy. What's so important though about this message. Is that it is a reminder. That God not only acts but He speaks. Not only acts, but He speaks. You see, without this special revelation given by the angels, we would have no idea who this babe is. You didn't realize that, right? Had the shepherds not received the Word of God, they could have never known who Jesus was. He's just another babe. Without the message given to Zechariah, he never would have known who John the Baptist was going to be. Without the word of God, we know nothing. So when God acts, He speaks. He gives us a word. Because without His word, we'll never understand His acts. So if you're looking for acts of God, divorced from the word of God, you won't find them. You'll only find works of demons. How can you know if a work of God, if this is a work of God, isn't confirmed by the word of God? If it's confirmed by the word of God, then you can know and celebrate it as a work of God. For God acts, he speaks. Because without his special revelation, you cannot know Jesus. You can't know him. That's why the very first words of Jesus' ministry in Luke 4, which we'll see, is, It is written. The very first time Jesus will reveal Himself, it was while He will read a prophet, uh, the prophet Isaiah and say, It is written, read it and say, Today these words are fulfilled. Because you can't know Christ apart from the Word. Praise be to God that He gave us a word. This is the good news of great joy of Christmas. That God not only acted, but He spoke He not only sent a a Savior so that we might figure it out for ourselves, but He sent a Savior and He said, this is Him. There's no one else. This is Him. So that you and I can know and in knowing be saved. God gave us a Word. He gave us the living Word in Jesus and the written Word in the Scriptures that we might know Him, love Him, believe upon Him, and hear him every time we look to these pages. Secondly, we see the angel's song over Jesus' birth. Verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The song of the angels is referred to as the Gloria, right? The Gloria in excelsis Deo. We just sung it. Over the heart, the herald angels sing. Overwhelmingly, the majority of the Christmas songs we sing flow from the scriptures of Luke chapter 1 and 2. In Luke 1 and 2, there are six praises that mark the birth of Jesus. There are three praises leading up to it. The praise of... Elizabeth, Mary, and Zechariah. And there are three praises after it. The song of the angels, the song of Simeon, and the song of Anna. Right? So three praises before, three praises after. And you know, a lot of times I get a little flustered by the fact of how early they begin the Christmas songs on the radio. But the other day I was thinking about that. That's awesome. Because literally by October, pretty much from October to December, December, People are singing about Jesus. Think about that. People's homes and cars and stores and restaurants are filled with songs that Christ came. The gospel is being preached through radios through songs that a king has been born. God rest you merry gentlemen. Christ Jesus has been born. These words are, are 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 pulled everywhere they come from these texts. What's so important about this song specifically is that it actually serves as a greater revelation of Jesus. By not only demonstrating who he was, like the message did, by not only demonstrating his divine nature, because angels only worship one being, it's God but also it reveals two major purposes for which Christ came. The first reason He came is that He came to be the supreme means by which God has revealed His glory to the world. There has never been a greater act of God revealing His glory than in sending the Son. The greatest revelation of God's glory is Is found in the person of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God we are told. And the reason why this is so important. Is because the supreme manner by which God chooses to demonstrate his love for his people. Is by revealing to them his glory. Remember that story of Lazarus. Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick. And he tells him, listen, this sickness does not lead to death, but so that the Son of God can be glorified. He hears that he's been sick, and so Jesus said, let's wait. For two days he waited to ensure Lazarus was dead. And once Lazarus was dead, then he came. And he had to deal with very upset sisters. But what Jesus had to demonstrate to the apostles and to them was that his greatest love was not just in quickly healing, uh, not just in making the problems just disappear for us, yeah. but by allowing us to see the fullness of his glory in the midst of the trial. That was how Christ so loved them. By revealing His glory to them so that they can behold it and know that He indeed was the resurrection and the life. For the glory of God is the supreme manifestation of His love. When He shows you His glory, He is demonstrating His love. Now to help you understand John 3.16 a little bit, for God so loved, so there, isn't just a mouth, it literally means He loved in this way, for God loved in this way, that He sent His only begotten Son. How is that love? Because it's manifesting the fullness of His glory. The fullness of His glory has been revealed in the sending of His Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. my friends, where once we had to be hid in the cleft of the rock just for the back of God to pass by. In Christ, we could behold the glory in all of its fullness. In Christ, you can see the fullness of the attributes of God at work for you, sinner. My friend... Where the rock would only allow us to experience the glory of God. God. Now in Christ, we will be forever shrouded in its fullness. We get to behold and to have within us the glory of God. And will one day be transformed by the glory of God. And he came not only out of the glory of God, but out of goodness towards humanity. Secondly, we see here that the purpose that Jesus came was to establish the only way by which peace could ever exist between holy God and sinful man. And on earth, peace among those whom He is pleased. We read of Isaiah's prophecy regarding Christ's birth, that of the increase of His government and of peace there would be no end. But the Song of the Angels tell us something interesting about this peace. This peace is given... To those in whom God is pleased. The point is that even though the the peace of God is offered to everyone, it goes out to everyone, only His chosen people, those who by His saving grace receive Christ and trust in Him as Savior and Messiah and Lord will experience the peace that's found in Him. Only those in Christ will receive this peace only those who have received this king by God's grace receive this peace. So if you're not in Christ and you don't know this peace there's a reason for it. there is no peace apart from him. He is the peace and only in receiving him do you receive the peace. That's why Luke will say that or uh, why Jesus will say in Luke 10, Whatever house you enter, verse 8, peace be to this house. That's the peace offered to everyone. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. God's peace is offered to the world, but only the sons of peace receive it. This is why back in the angel's message, they said that this this is good news for all the people. Why give that participle there, the people, instead of just saying all people? Who are the people? Only those who receive the King. This is the only one who receives the good news. Otherwise, it's irrelevant news. Otherwise, it's just a distraction for my gifts. Only the people is it good news for those whom the Father has given to His Son, those by grace have been able to hear the song of the angels and receive it with joy. So how can you know if you are a son of peace, a daughter of peace? How do you know you're a part of the angels promise? There's only one way to know. Have you received? Have you received the Prince of Peace? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? My friends, the Christian faith is an exclusive One. This is not good news for everyone. This is only good news for those who receive it. Only those in Christ is this message for. Only those in Christ can they have peace. Only those in Christ can they have salvation. And apart from Him, there is only judgment. There is only loss. There is only despair. The Christian faith is an exclusive. It is only for those who on earth whom the Lord is pleased. And those whom He is pleased with are those whom have received His Son as Lord. You cannot have Christ as Savior if you will not have Him as Lord. And there are three ways He gives us peace. First, He gives us peace with God. By receiving the Son, we are no longer children of wrath, which was described as in Ephesians chapter 2. But we become children of God, adopted into His family by the Spirit Himself, which makes us brand new, borns us again into the family of God. We now have peace with God. That is your greatest need today. I hope you know that. Your greatest need in life is to have peace with a holy God. Otherwise, you're under judgment. You're a child of wrath. In Jesus, you have been given peace with God. Secondly, in Christ, you are given peace within. I include in this any sense of guilt or anxiety that tends to paralyze us or make us hopeless. Here again, believing the promises of God with the view of glorifying God is in our lives is key. Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The only way to have that peace you're looking for in here is in Christ. Guilt, worries, threats, confusion, uncertainties... All of these put our heart and our mind under constant assault. Paul says. Peace of God. The peace of God which comes to guard our hearts and minds can only be found in Jesus. Don't limit the peace of God by what your understanding can see. There is now no condemnation. No guilt. No shame. No hopelessness for those in Christ. Only peace. Thirdly, He gives us peace with others. This is the one we have the least control over. So we need to carefully say it this way, the way Paul does in Romans 12, verse 18. He says, if at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Where you have a vote, it needs to be a vote of peace. Where you have a variable in the discussion, it needs to be a variable of peace. So far as it depends on you, you ought to live with peace. Why? Because you've got the peace of God. And if you won't bring it, who will? Why do you keep expecting the world to bring a peace that it doesn't have? Why do you keep expecting politicians to promise a peace which they can't give? You can't give what you don't have. We have the peace of God. We have the peace of Christ. And we alone can bring it to the table. We alone can bring it to the discussion. We alone can bring it into our home. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But does it look like that Prince rules over your life? (coughs) Brothers and sisters, may we learn from these angels how to sing to the King. Since the beginning of creation, these angels have sung and surrounded God with a boy, with their voices of praise. And here they begin to offer the new song that Jesus has given His new covenant people. For in Christ, we can confidently sing of the glory of God that we will behold forever. And we can sing of the peace of God that we have received because He came for us. Lastly, We see the joyful response to Jesus' birth. And we're going to walk through this little by little. The first response that we see to this announcement, this angelic song, is that we are to quickly receive it. And we see this in verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying, In the manger. The shepherds made haste to find the babe lying in the manger. If God had grace for them, brothers and sisters, He has grace for any sinner who comes to receive Christ. If He can take these outcast, lying, detestable shepherds and give them the announcement of Christ, He offers the same to you today and that grace is available for all who will receive the King. Beloved, if you are not saved today, I plead with you to make it haste to this, to this Jesus. Not hesitate, but run to Him this very moment. Lay yourself at the feet of Christ and to fully surrender to the King of Kings. For if you will not receive Christ, this will not be a news of great joy. This will be news of great judgment. If you will not receive Christ, this message is a message of judgment, not joy. Secondly, the second response we see is that we are to boldly proclaim it. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Beloved, Christianity is not a come and see religion. It's a go and tell religion. It's not come and see. As much as we want to decorate this place, make it look nice, get it all adorned, this isn't where ministry should be happening the primary time of the week. It should be happening out there. In your homes, in your workplace, in the coffee shops. That's where it should be taking place. Mm -hmm. This is to come, gather with the saints, be restored in covenant fellowship and faithfulness, be recharged for the week, and go and do the work of the ministry. Go and tell it on the mountain. Go. Go, tell, do, be. That's Christianity. Not come, watch, sit. Go, do, be, live, act. Mm -hmm. That's what Christ produces in you. Would you tell someone that you knew dying from cancer where to find the remedy if you had the answer? Mm. Would you watch those you love wither away in a, a malignant disease. That you had the keys, That you had the antidote to. Or would you not quickly tell them. Would you not quickly say. This is where your hope is. This is the answer. This is the cure. And yet day by day. We sit on the antidote of Christ. While people wither away. How mm-hmm. can you not go tell them. you have the answer. There's a great indictment. When we are silent. So let's shout it from the rooftop. The valleys, the streets, the mountains. Let us never cease to pray that God would continually bring those into our life that they might receive the good news. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to hear you're not qualified. I don't want to hear you're not smart enough. These are shepherds. Detestable outcasts whose testimony wouldn't even be received in the courts. Don't tell me you're not qualified. That's precisely who God calls. He calls those who've got no business sharing this to the world. Whose past are horrible and ugly and detestable. And he makes them ministers of the good news of God. He gives them the ministry of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So tell me you don't got enough education. These aren't rabbis or scholars or shepherds. They're telling everybody about Jesus. Because having Jesus is enough. You may not be able to perfectly explain the Trinity. You may not be perfectly lay out concepts of the decrees of God and the will of God. You may not be able to perfectly, uh, with absolute precision, understand the doctrine of inspiration or the hypostatic union of Christ. But you know Jesus and that's enough. So tell somebody. Tell somebody. Mm -hmm. Third response is to marvel over it. We see this in verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. We can never grow numb to the reality of Christmas. It's going to be so easy to just get in the routines, to get caught up in the grind of buying and wrapping and selling and doing and all of these things that come with this time, going to the bazaars, scheduling trips for people, going and visiting everything else, and and, and for one second, not stop, and take a second to marvel over the reality of what this is all about. You need to pray that God will give you the gift of stillness. That you might marvel over Christ this season. Mm -hmm. That you might never grow numb to this glorious reality that God took upon flesh to be born a helpless babe. To live a life of perfect righteousness and die for sinners like you and me. That we can live forever. That's marvelous. It's amazing. Don't grow numb to it. Ponder over it. Marvel over it. Let your children get excited over it. The way you do. They'll get excited if you get excited about it. Let them see the excitement. Marvel that He would come for us. Fourthly, greatly treasure it. We see this in Mary's response. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Is there anything more precious than Christ? Paul says, I count all as lost for the surpassing value, the treasure of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Everything else is lost to me. Everything else is lost without Christ. Christ is the treasure. Christ is the treasure where moth and rust doth not corrupt. Christ is the pearl of great Christ. Christ is, or is, is worthy of 10,000 songs. He is worthy of every fiber of our being. He is worthy of every ounce of strength we have to speak, to walk, to go, to do. Christ is the greatest treasure of all. Is that seen in your life? If people were to take a 30,000 foot of your life, would they say Christ is their greatest treasure? What do people see as your greatest treasure? Let it be Christ. He is the only thing that can never be lost once it is gathered. Lastly, we see that they perpetually praised God because of it. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. These shepherds were now imitating the angels. They glorified God in praise. When you you have beheld the good news of Jesus Christ, there is no greater pull on the soul than to pour out in praise. Perhaps if you're struggling to praise, it's because you haven't had a clear enough vision of Christ. Because when you know who He is and what He's done, you can't help but praise Him. So sing His praises. Sing not only when you are together, but sing along. Cheer your heart weekly during labor, during, when you're working with the kids, when you're cleaning the house, when you're going to work. Fill your heart with songs of praise, with hymns and spiritual songs. Let them permeate through you. Because we, if, we, if we sung more, we murmur less. If we sung more, we'd gossip less. Mm. If we sung more, we'd despair less. Mm. So sing, praise, let your heart be full with the reality that everything I need has been found in Christ. What is there to be weary over? God, grant us today mouths filled with your praise. When the Pharisees told Jesus to shut up the children for crying, Hosanna, He said the rocks would cry if they did Beloved, today I think there's a lot of rock singing around churches. Because mm. so we need to sing. We need to be a people of praise. But let hymns and spiritual songs constantly permeate our heart. Songs like their blooms. A rose in Bethlehem from tender stem hath sprung. Of Jesse's line this flower grows as men of old Have sung. Isaiah told us long ago about this rose we'd find. In virgin arms we shall behold the Savior of mankind. Let those truths be permeating your heart day and night. Let your children sing and sleep with songs of Christ surrounding them. The shepherds went from hearing to believing to telling to praising. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ leads to witness and worship. It leads to witness and worship. My friends, what's the gospel doing in your life? Are you witnessing and worshiping? That's the only thing the faith of Christ can do for you. And if there's no witness and there's no worship, pray that God might rekindle that faith. My friends, these are non-negotiables for Christians. There are no prerequisites to do them. But to have Christ. The world is looking for saviors. So let's go and tell them of the only one there actually is Christ, the Lord. Let them see him in your words and your life of worship. And if you have yet to receive Christ and you've been perplexed and intrigued by the person of Jesus, I want you to know that's God calling you to believe this very moment to heed the angel's message and to follow those shepherds. Jesus. For unto you is born a Savior. Won't you receive Him today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much for the truths therein. We pray, Lord, that we will not take for granted the glorious news of Christmas. The glorious news that Christ has been born. Lord, He is the greatest gift of all. May we joyfully receive it. May we go and tell it to all who will hear. May we marvel over it day after day. May we treasure it with all of our heart, the realities of Christ. And may we perpetually praise you because of it. God, do not give us word do not give us lives of fear, lives of stress, lives of, of all of these things that just constantly distract us away. But let praise flow through our hearts so that when the world grows dark, the light of your praise is constantly radiating from your people. That we might actually be able to do what Peter said and that is to give a a reason for the hope that's in us. We have hope because we have Christ. So Lord, let us see the glories of Christ. And let there not be a single soul that leaves here without responding to it today. Let us be faithful in our witness. Abundant in our worship. All because Christ has came for us. Let all who today will come to receive Him. Let their lives be marked by a radical transformation. Where Christ is now centered and permeated through everything they do. The world may see Christ has been born in this life. In our lives, day by day, let him be magnified in us as you sent him for us. So, Lord, turn our eyes to Jesus. And the reality that that babe of Bethlehem was not only a revelation of your glory, but of your goodness to sinners like me. Thank you, Lord.